The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. You just look at them now, eh? Politicians now. Just you know, garbage. Douchebags. Oh, he's not talking about you when he says douchebags. Don't worry, you're going to be the next premier of the province. Look at this. Look at the Hamburglar again. Can you believe they do that? I got like four of these. Who'd you guys get? I didn't get the Happy Meal. Yeah, I, I didn't get the Happy Meal. Oh, I got the Roger Rabbit Roadster. This is a great toy. Let me see that. I don't see anything. You gotta hold it up to a light source. You gotta point it towards the window. Oh, yeah. That's great. There's a lot of money here today. Don't discuss any complicated issues. Say, cut the deficit, create jobs. Cut the deficit, cut the deficit create, create jobs. jobs. Okay? Deficit, create okay, jobs. good. Right. Be yourself. Don't say a lot. Let your image talk for you. Yeah, how's the hair? Good, good, good. 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 Hello, hello. Oh, hi, hi. Hello. Jim Walcott. Well, this really is mwah, such an honor for Jerry and I. Oh, Jerry, you. as you know, has done a tremendous amount of fundraising for the federal liberals. Oh, terrific. Yes, can I have your coat? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Rosalba? Good morning, London. It is Thursday, April 3rd, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where will we be with you <laughs> from now until noon? It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. What was that about? <laughs> oh, I've been waiting all week to do that. Uh, okay. Well, you know what we just heard there? Politicians now are just garbage, says the Liberal campaign driver in our opener from the newsroom this morning. A lot of people sure feel that way these days, so it's a bit of an irony that these same people are always calling for elections and recalls just to replace one politician with another. How often has that really solved the bigger picture? There seems to be election fever in Ontario's political air, so what the heck, we'll play along and pretend that we're really going to have an election on June the 5th, especially in light of the apparent eagerness of many voters to rid themselves of the current government. But even if we have that Ontario election on June 5th or in June of next year, what will really change for the average guy out there? We could end up with another minority government, or if a majority government at all, likely an NDP one. Either way, we're moving further left. More government spending, more taxes, fewer services right into the red zone. Hudak's progressive conservatives are supposed to be the official opposition, but they're not even an adequate complaint department anymore. Tell me, when was the last time you recall an election when following the election things got better and taxes went down? Government service improved, politicians told the truth. To be fair, there may have been one or two such unusual circumstances over my lifetime thanks to the critical questions being made in those particular elections. Both were federal. Provincially, it's been a one-way ticket to deficits and debts, even during the Harris years. So what are the options? What has to happen for things to politically turn around and get better? Why aren't those things happening, if anybody knows what they are? That's what we'll be talking about today as we focus mostly, though not exclusively, on Ontario's political scene which is becoming politically obscene and letting off some steam about, taking a few serious shots at, and having a bit of fun with this crazy political world in which we live. 
So 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation, or please write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Robert, care to kick it off? Well, I'm with you, Bob. I don't see how changing the leader of the... uh, uh, of the party uh, of the government with the three parties we have in power today does any good whatsoever and i've been trying to understand why here in ontario the electorate continue to support the corrupt liberal new democrat progressive troika troika yeah and i'm not going to call them progressive conservatives today because they're not conservative in any way shape or form except that they conserve the policies of any previous liberal new democrat uh motions. So let's call them what they really are, and that is progressives, because they're the ones who brought in all of the left-wing socialist legislation that you and I decry every Thursday at (laughs) 11 o'clock here at CHW 94.9. Now, their ideology of the three parties is all the same, a mixture of nihilistic, egalitarian socialism, a deadly potion proven historically to destroy life and impoverish people. Their leaders are the same, They care nothing for the people of the province. They care only about their own salaries, perks, control, power, and legacy. They consider themselves morally above the rest of us. They are arrogant, petulant, and incompetent. I loosely compare them, very loosely, mind you, to the royal houses of Europe leading up to the Great War, which began, by the way, 100 years ago, this July 28th. For the sake of influence and imperialism, those inbred elite led tens of millions to an early grave. Do you really think that they cared about that cannon fodder? Our own philosophically inbred elite, Kathleen Wynne, Andrea Horwath, and Tim Hudak, are no different in motivation than the kings, czars, dukes, and archdukes of 1914 Europe. Their political wranglings are at the expense of our lives, our jobs, our wealth, and our happiness. There's no tanks or mustard gas, in my analogy, and that's you know, not certainly lost on me, because this is an extreme comparison. But ideologically, there is as much a disconnect between those royals of yesterday and Ontario's leaders of today from the people beneath them. They shrug at the mere thought of destroying a billion dollars to gain a few seats in Parliament. They destroy the countryside with windmills to get the green vote in the big cities. They dig us deeper and deeper into debt so that we are no longer in a position to begin even thinking about paying it off. They raise the minimum wage, pricing hundreds of thousands of people out of work just to get the vote of big labor. The list of the atrocities perpetrated on the people of Ontario is almost endless, and there is no end in sight, as long as the electorate continue to support them. Now, millions have refused to participate anymore and no longer vote out of contempt for their choices, or what they perceive to be their choices, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. There was a time when I wouldn't vote because I knew that there was nothing that I could vote for, which is why I would run. Or until the Freedom Party Mm. came along, you know. But what many don't understand is that there is a choice to the three nihilistic socialist parties. And that choice is the Freedom Party of Ontario, a party which you started and I support fully. The Freedom Party was one of the only five parties who ran enough candidates in the last provincial election to be able to form a majority government. The NDP, Liberal, Progressives and Greens being the others, of course. But few know this. If you know it because 
they get their information on who to vote for from the media, and the media, for the most part, is in bed with the socialist parties. Why? Partly because the media relies on advertising, and the biggest advertising by far is, guessed, you guessed it, the government. Biggest advertiser out there, and the media don't want to, you know, rankle them, lose their advertising. But mostly... Because there's a, there is a simpatico in philosophy between today's journalists, editors, and leftists squatting in university classrooms throughout the province and the government. They are in cahoots philosophically. But the voter is to blame as well as those who have uh, given up voting for not finding out more about their political options and for tacitly accepting the amoral message of their university professors, newspaper editorialists, and political leaders. They're just lazy. The voter uh, at large is just lazy. Go out and ask them any question of any um, depth as to uh, the philosophic ideologies of the three big three parties, and I bet you they will not un, uh, you know, be able to, to cogently give you an answer. But if we follow the trail of blame back to its source, it always leads back to the universities, right here. The so-called intelligentsia, the intellectual elite, we turn to for answers on issues of political philosophy, ethics, science, and reason. In the buildings surrounding this very studio and in the classrooms and offices of the universities from Lakehead to the University of Ottawa, U of T, and others, professors are writing books on how reality is unknowable. They're giving lectures on how self-sacrifice is the good and acting in your own best interests is evil. They're appearing on television talk shows, chastising us for using energy and drinking out of plastic bottles and the like. They travel the country giving lectures on how all cultures are equal and all ideas are valid and there really is no truth. That's the depth of the intellectual intelligentsia today. The educated professors in teachers' colleges, well, they're the worst in my opinion. They're instructing, instructing future teachers not to use, for example, not to use red ink to mark papers because it's too violent. <laughs> they must use green ink instead. That's, that's, more, that's more earthly. That's more Gaia. They are teaching the teachers to have 10-year-olds write essays on global warming while the same 10-year-olds have yet to be able to write a single sentence without a, a spelling mistake. Cart before the horse. Total. Uh, um, remember last week we talked about the dim hypothesis by Leonard Peikoff and how disintegration is the norm in today's society. A disintegration is you're throwing a lot of different facts with no connections, no integration between them. And when they have a ten-year-old write an essay on global warming or the crisis in the Crimea or anything like that, when they have yet to be able to learn how to write properly and to spell properly, then that is a disintegration model of education, and that's what we're living through. If we're able at all to take back our province, we should concentrate our focus on just who is running these institutions of higher learning, in quotes, and who is working in these institutions. We should never take them at face value and not be afraid to criticize the destructive, moral relativistic, nihilistic, egalitarian, social metaphysical ideas they spread. Ideas which when they percolate their way throughout the cultural channels, make it easy to elect political leaders who share their philosophies. Wynne, Horvath, and Hudak, the unholy trinity of destruction. I agree with you, Robert, but you know what? Sometimes I have to look at it the other way around. Uh, I look at it from 
uh, a new politician's point of view who just gets elected, who doesn't, you know, really know that much about government itself, but he's trying to do what the people want, right? And you just said that the people don't know what they want. So here is a politician wanting to, to, to do what the people want, right? And as long as they're catering to people's wants rather than to their individual rights and things like that, I don't see things changing. How are they going to get elected if they tell people what we're telling them, if you know what I mean, right? Because they're not ready to accept that kind of a, a civic responsibility. That's been tossed out for years, it seems. That's the thing, and I think if we focus on uh, here in, on, in London, it's Althouse College. There's the teacher's college right there. I was over there in their library looking at the books they use to teach people, teach um, teachers how to teach reading when I was interested in that mm -hmm. subject about 20 years ago. And they had a book there which basically said anybody who uh, out there, there are movements out there trying to say that teaching, reading, using the phonetic method, right? These people are right-wing Christian fundamentalist zealots, and that's their words. Right. That's what they're teaching the teachers about people who want to use phonics, for example, to teach reading. That's wow. the kind of invasive, insidious, actually well, overt, way that they, they form the philosophy of a society because those teachers then use this disintegration model to teach um, reading, like the Chinese model, you know, you don't say the sounds of the letters, Remember, memorize all the looks of the words, that's how you do it, right? Just like memorizing Chinese or, or Japanese kanji. It's absolutely ludicrous. There is the crux of the problem, right there. Well, I guess you could say we shouldn't have government funding of schools, you know. It, it's funny, our government is the single most expensive item we're faced with in our lives, greater than food, shelter, and clothing combined. Yet few voters really react. In fact, there's a growing cynicism and distrust in government that hasn't been seen in recent memory. So that's why we want to listen in on what we're going to hear next, which is a panel discussion from TVO's The Agenda, which just aired this past March 11th. And what you're going to hear is a very tightly edited and shortened sampling of some of what the next generation of voters is thinking about politics and voting. And I think some of this is very positive. I picked most of the positive points out because they're looking. And they just don't know where to find it yet. So let's listen in for the next few minutes and we'll return on the other side. The British comedian Russell Brand characterized voting as, quote, a tacit act of complicity in a political system filled with lies, treachery, and deceit. He might not be alone in his thinking, especially among Canadian voters aged 18 to 24. Fewer than 40 percent of those eligible in that cohort voted in the 2011 federal election. And there we go. Welcome, everybody. This is a uh, nice gathering of people who really should be very actively involved in politics, and we're going to find out why you're not. Voting for uh, parties is the bigger problem, rather than, like, if the representatives were more able to represent their constituencies, then, um, then that would be, like, far less problematic. Chris, he's touched on something here that I hear all the time, sure. which is, is it the elected person's responsibility to represent the party to the constituency? Or is it the elected person's responsibility to represent the views of his or her constituents to the party in Ottawa, in Queen's Park, whatever? Sure. Do you, is that part of why you might be disillusioned with, Queen, with uh, politics right now? 
Um, that, that's not what I'm concerned with. My, my main concern with democracy and democratic politics is that too many uh, domains that shouldn't be subject to collective choice are made so by democratic politics. So I think uh, a lot of policy issues, when they come up for a vote or, or as part of a platform, um, we're, we're told or we're asked to vote yes or no on, on a set of policy proposals. And I think sometimes the correct answer is, is not yes or no, but this it's, it's none of your business in the first place whether, whether this is, should be regulated or not. So, for example, just to make this a little more concrete, um, we have a minimum wage law in Ontario. So you cannot hire somebody for less than the minimum wage. That is illegal. It's a voluntary transaction. And a third party, the government says, nope, sorry, you can't do it, even if the two parties involved in the actual transaction agree to it. So I don't think I disagree with that policy, and I think it's bad policy. I think it prices low-skilled labor out of the market. But I don't think it's good enough for me to vote against it. I think I should question the premise of whether this should be up to that third party, the government, to regulate in the first place. But that's no reason not to vote, is it? The fact I, you disagree with the party on a particular piece of legislation? It's, it's, a, it's about, as Russell Brand said, it's being complicit in that system where we're, we're giving um, political parties the moral authority or the legal authority to have a say in the first place. I don't think they should. to characterize the interest that your parents have and have had in politics. Do you want the same kind of politics or do you want a different kind of politics? And if it's different, what do you want? Brady. Uh, I think that the whole playbook for how the parties approach people is written for the boomers, right? Because it's, all bo it's largely boomers that are in power right now. They know how to speak to their own demographic. And... Um, I think that that is like that is a core problem with it because they're also very stuck in their ways. They want to retire. They want to have that comfortable place to go to, and they 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 grew up with you know I'm turning 28 this month, um, and at this point in time in my parents' life, you know like they they'd be buying a house, be like like thinking about having kids. Like you know it's a very different thing than where we are now, given the economy that they set up, given the rules that they've been playing by. So you over want the a different politics? Oh, absolutely, folks. Justin. I actually don't want politics of my parents. I want maybe my grandparents. Um, a return to, uh, I guess, when parties were speaking to all Canadians and not just particular segments like the Im immigrant community or a different community over there. Um, and I also want a different kind of politician. We used to have moral champions, heroes, people who inspired us. Um, it's, it's a little well-wishful, well but I think instead of, in the absence of a hero, we can take someone who will have a beer with or, or have a coffee. And I think that's why Rob Ford is still kind of popular despite his personal, um, his personal life. Um, I think it's people like that that we need. Homer. Well, I mean, I think Rob Ford's really popular because, you know, there's an ideology that people want. Um, but I, you know, my parents came here in the 1970s and I obviously wasn't around then, but I had this romantic vision of the 70s as, you know, Trudeau and Joe Clark and then later on Brian Mulroney where politics was exciting and it was cool and there was big things that were being debated in Ottawa and Queen's Park. And I want better people to, to run for office and to, to tackle difficult issues head on um, and to use 21st century technology, use social media and talk to people in a language that appeals to them. And welcome back. We're now joined on the live line by someone familiar to this show, and that's Paul McKeever. Paul, are you there? 
I am, Bob. How are you? Not too bad. Don't know what hat you're wearing, because I recall when you were co-hosting just right a little while back, we actually devoted half of our show to our mutual admir- admiration of the things we liked about Pierre Trudeau. Isn't that, isn't that frightening when you think about it? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to break out that T-shirt again. Yeah. <laughs> well, before you continue, Bob, i just yeah. got to remind people out there that who Pyle McKeever is. Uh, yeah, I was going to do that, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, among his other hats, of course, is he's the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. You've been doing the rounds this week, and you certainly do understand provincial politics. I've got to say, better than myself, and I don't know about Robert here, but you're right on top of it all the time. Well, it's more or less been my other part-time or full-time job oh. since about 2002. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it keeps me quite busy. That's for sure. Now, during your appearance on Sun TV this past Monday with host Ryan Doyle, You suggested that what Ontarians were witnessing in the legislature that day, which was Monday, was, quote, a lot of drama, end quote, as Andrea Horwath walked out of the legislature in reaction to Kathleen Wynne's absence from the legislature. Do you still see it that way? I do. uh, You know, uh, the thing with Horvath is right now, I think she has to look like she somehow objects or opposes uh, the Liberals when, in fact, she's doing all she can to keep them in power. So she has to look like she's, uh, you know, somehow taking an opposite view on something, and the way she could do that was by huffing and puffing and marching at a legislature like a little child. So, you know, if that turns your crank, well, like, great. I, it's not politics, it's not responsible governance, it doesn't mean that she's ready to govern. In fact, I think it proves that she's not. So, isn't show business part of politics? I thought that was a bit of part well, of Well, you know, show business, show business in politics should be comprised of an excellent and inspiring speech, not of picking your marbles and running on home. That's why I call them petulant. Yeah, yeah Good word, good word, and and you know the fact that her entire caucus followed her out the door just shows you how utterly, uh, you know, devoid they are of ideas or of a single spine amongst them. I mean, the reason we did that show back uh, a few months ago on on Trudeau was because, and I think you'll recall, we were saying he was basically the last masculine uh, political leader we had in this country. We've 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 opted instead for this kind of showy, substanceless, um, petulant, as you say. Uh, sort of politics. I don't think most people out there give a uh, tinker's darn about uh, some email scandal that Mr. Hudak thinks is the be-all and end-all. And the only reason he thinks it's the be-all and end-all is because he wants there to be an election, or at least he wants to appear as though he wants an election. The reality is the cupboards are bare. He's, his party's deeply in debt. They have the support of, I think, in the last election, 13.85% of all voters. It's ridiculous. And, and the majority of people no longer vote. We're hearing that from the youth. You know, I heard a few things in that recording. Uh, they were talking about the, the uh, politics of the boomers. That person is absolutely right. Let me give you a, few, yes. uh, a little bit of a rundown, if I can. Average life expectancy in Ontario is about 82 years old, 79 for, years of age for males, 84 for females. The bulging population cohort known as the baby boom includes those born from 46 to 64. Gen Y is 65 to 84. Or sorry, uh, that was Gen X is uh, 65 to 84. Gen Y, also known as the millennials of the echo boom, Therefore, uh, the people who were born in between 85 and 2000. Now, get this. All Gen Xers and perhaps two-thirds of millennials are currently of working and income tax-paying age. But the baby boomers began, uh, began re- uh, turning 65 in 2011, election year. Uh, and about half of all baby boomers will be senior citizens six years from now in 2020. All be- that'll be not the next election, but the election after. And all boomers will be seniors by 2029, just 15 years from now, about three or four elections from now. Those of working age between, uh, you know, 1865 uh, will be paying taxes to pay for the increased health care costs of baby boomer seniors for the period of about 35 years. We've already been doing it for three, and the health care costs are already exploding. You, 
the, the death, if you want to put it that way, of the baby boomer generation will start in about 2028 and end in about 2046, based on that life expectancy of uh, average 82. Mm-hmm. So in all likelihood, older Gen Xers like me, I'm 48, will be dead, I'll be 80, 80 years old, by the time the baby boomers are a matter of history. By 2046, today's 21-year-old uh, university graduates will be 53 years of age. Most of their children will have graduated from high school. Many will be struggling to pay for housing, food, clothing, and their children's education. Most of them will not yet have used much in the way of expensive health care, other than at the time of their birth. But if we continue to elect the three parties who refuse to end Ontario's government health care monopoly, they will have footed the bill through taxes for a bulging baby boom generation for approximately 32 years. That's 32 years of earnings flushed right out of their pockets and into the medicine chest of the baby boom generation. And yet these very same people, the Gen X and Gen Y, and I'm part of that group, don't, as much as, Gen, uh, as, the, as the baby boomers, they don't see as much value in voting. Well, I got news for everybody out there who's not voting. Older people do see the value in voting, and at present, they're planning to vote themselves a retirement plan at your expense. And that's why we're seeing this year Kathleen Wynne, who's 60 years old, talking to her own crowd, promising to implement a uh, Ponzi scheme that she's calling a uh, pension plan. Well, that means the youth will pay for the baby boomers as they, you know, sit back for the next 35 years. She's, per- she's promising um, a total of $5.7 billion in additional spending this month alone. And, Bob, you're talking about, you know, you started the show by saying we're moving to the left. Why? That's because voters are moving from making age, the ages at which they make money, to taking age, the ages at which they're heavy users of health care, heavy users of retirement homes, heavy users of just about everything we can imagine that the government spends on right now. What's happening? Younger voters are not voting. They're not defending their own pocketbooks, their own lives. And there's only one party out there who will defend everybody equally of all ages. I mean, a party should be representing all ages, all people. And how do you do that? by defending every individual's life, liberty, and property, whether they're 20 years old or 88 years old. And you'll, you'll recall, Bob, that a good number of the people who, who were even uh, involved in the founding of Freedom Party mm-hmm. were themselves in their 70s and 80s. Yes. Good people who realize that it's wrong to take from the young and give to the old. You know, the scenario you paint, and I didn't expect you to go the Democrat, uh, uh, you know, demographics here, because what you're suggesting, too, is because of the way the demographics are going to split up, there's going to be a very great schism between uh, differing groups, differing voting groups, that is. Uh, well, I think there already is. I mean, look at... Well, even greater, though, I mean. Oh, yeah. So I that mean, would push us further to the left. Right. And essentially into bankruptcy, and then that's not going to help anyone. Exactly right. I mean, they'll push it until we're in the New Zealand situation. New Zealand was in a situation in uh, the mid-'80s where they basically uh, intervened in the economy so much that the government was the economy. And what they had, what they had to do was uh, ent- uh, enter into a period of real deep austerity, privatizing business, selling off things, uh, deregulating, etc. Now, these were good things, mind you, and it did work. They, they managed to pull themselves out of, out of trouble. But the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be. And if people right now at the age of, say, 64, think that they're in for a secure future at age 75, um, I hate to tell them this, but they're actually going to find themselves feeble, sitting in a wheelchair, unable to do anything as the government does nothing for them. There's no health care for them. There's no one looking out for them. And why? Because all the money that they were earning has been taken from them by previous generations, and that's all there is, nothing. 
We have to make the comparison as well between a federal uh, debt and a provincial debt. But the federal debt is, it can be handled completely different than a provincial debt because they actually can print money. Right. The province cannot. And the province, if it reneges on its debt, if it can't pay it off, it's going to dig a hole uh, similar to what's happened in the California or Detroit, where people, when they see their taxes go up to pay down the debt, you know what they'll do? They'll simply leave the province, which only exacerbates the situation for the rest of us. And who can blame them? They right. move to Alberta. They move to BC. They move to a province where there's less tax. They don't have the demographics that we do. And uh, we're we're going to be facing some really hard times in Ontario, harder than we already have now, which is pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, uh, I don't know if you got time for this for the segment, but uh, back in uh, 1993 or so, I was at University of Western Ontario studying law. Mm-hmm. London was just depressed as all get out, and I was washing dishes at a, in the back of a Wendy's on Oxford Street there. And uh, my, my manager came to the back room. He says, guess who we've got out front as the leader of the PC party? I went out there. It was Mike Harris chowing down on a Big Bacon Classic, you know, in or, sorry, 1994. And I sat down and talked to them, and I, I just asked them, why should I stay in this province? I'm a highly educated gentleman. I can go to uh, more prosperous uh, places within Canada or in the United States. Why should I stay here? I was asking that at the age of perhaps 25, mm-hmm. and everybody else in university right now is going to be asking themselves the exact same question. You have to balance this, these, this budget. Freedom Party is the only uh, party that's doing that, uh, and uh, we're basically right back in the situation we were in when Mike Harris was chomping down on his big big bacon classic. Now, you've already presented a, uh, a balanced budget proposal, haven't you? Oh, yes. We uh, talked we... about it before. Where can people find that online? Well, if they go to the Freedom Party website, freedomparty.on.ca, we always leave it right there in the top right corner on the slider. Uh, we've had them for three years in a row. I've presented a balanced budget proposal to the legislature and submitted it to the MPPs in advance of their budget uh, you know, discussions. And, of course, it gets ignored uh, because they're not interested in balancing the budget. They're interested in winning the vote of the baby boomers. Now, a balanced budget, of course, does that help pay off the debt? Or just stops the uh, the, the, blood, the blood flow, doesn't it? Uh, well, it, yeah, it stops things from getting worse. Yeah. And then as, as inflation uh, continues, and this is where we hear, for example, um, the young Mr. Trudeau talking, as inflation continues to erode the value of the dollar, it becomes cheaper to, to uh, finance the remaining debt. Mm-hmm. Not that well, I'm proposing that. That is true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. that's yeah. been a, it's a sort of a sneaky way out of it. <laughs> right. A very ancient, sneaky way and out speaking of Speaking of Mr. Trudeau, I'm glad you used the words tinkers darn, because if <laughs> Mr. Justin Trudeau were on the radio today, I think we'd, uh, Ed would have to have his finger over the button. <laughs> 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 anyway, let's go to a bottom of the hour break. If you can hold on, Paul. Sure. Uh, politicians today, huh? They're the best politician this country ever saw. Pierre Trudeau, man. Even if you didn't agree with him, at least he did something. He had the balls to do something. Conviction. They don't, uh, don't do that anymore. Maggie Trudeau screwed him up, huh? She was a Fruit Loop. Hippy-dippy, you know, that ruined everything. Man. Politicians nowadays, eh? Every single one of them is an idiot. Morons. Can we get another driver? It's his van. He's cheap, okay? The guy thinks I'm an idiot. Come on. He's one guy who thinks you're an idiot when the majority of the voting public starts thinking you're an idiot. Then we'll worry. Trust me on this. Coffee is here. Coffee. 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 Mr. Walcott is definitely alive. Can you hear on a sec? 
Jeremy? Yeah? Guy from the Globe heard that Jim's brain dead. What are we saying? Hey, Mark. Yeah? Are we using brain dead? Uh, George. Uh, I saw Jim about an hour ago. He looks fantastic. Hold on a second. Yeah. Are we using brain dead to the press? No, no, no. He's resting. He's resting. He's not brain dead. Yeah, I think what we got here is what I would call a Canadian Christopher Reeves situation. Yeah. Yeah, well, we have a, um, we have a, uh, a celebrity with a certain amount of trauma, and uh, this guy's still got a tremendous contribution to make to public life. That's right. That's right. Well, we, we're having faith in, uh, in, in Jim right now. Uh, that's what we're doing. Faith in Jim, faith in God, and faith in the uh, democratic process. That's right. We're moving straight ahead, which means we think we can win this. We know we can win this thing. That's right. Thank you very much. This is a poll they did last night after Jim's shooting. We're up 16 points. Wow, great. Was I right booking him into that mall? 16 points in political terms? That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, just like the hole in his brain. I don't want to mention the term brain dead. Okay, there's too much negative spit on that. Jim Walcott is still very much alive in this campaign. He's alive on paper. You know, on paper. You make it sound like well, he's in some kind of a birdcage or something. The man's body is in perfect shape. He's got one small hole in his head, no exit wound. Okay. That's because his brain absorbed the impact. His brain did absorb the impact. Okay, but that shot got us something. You know what it did? Bang. Sexual abuse charge, off the front page of the paper. Bang. The fraud thing, gone. Bang. The paternity suit, gone. So without losing sight of the real tragedy of this thing, the shooting is about the best thing that could have happened to this campaign. Are you saying that we're going to run a brain-dead candidate? Forget about brain-dead. Forget about all that stuff, right? We've got to think of a positive spin we can give to this. Something we can sell. How about Jim Walcott, who is sleeping peacefully? No, 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 no. not peacefully. All Makes right. him sound like a pacifist. We're not running a pacifist. Right. We're running a fighter. Jim's a fighter. Okay. Okay, I got words like battle, courage, guts. I got one. Jim's silent war. I like war. I don't like silence. Quiet. No, wrong, wrong. Jim's private and courageous war. Private and courageous struggle. Struggle. Private and courageous struggle. Struggle. Good, good, good. Mm -hmm. Campaign. Better, better. Okay, I like that. Jim's private and courageous campaign. I love that. The campaign, the courage, and it's private, right? He's got the whole brain dead thing going for him, but, you know, we're, we're keeping it down where he's not flaunting it. Let's get a poster. How long for posters? Couple of days. Couple of days, okay. I, you know what I love? Those posters of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Those penetrating eyes. Never say die. I love that. Jim's a fighter. Never say die. How about never say anything? <laughs> Wasn't that hilarious? That was great. That's from CBC's The Newsroom, by the way, with an excellent uh, <laughs> an excellent program. Uh, you're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can find all of our uh, past episodes on our website, justrightmedia.org. You can drop us a line there at feedback at justrightmedia.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Now, we're joined on the line uh, back again with uh, Paul McKeever, leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. And, uh, Paul, before um, our last break, uh, we had a caller, Scott, call in during the eclipse, and he had a question. And I think uh, I'd like you to answer this, if you could. And he, he asked, would supporting more independent candidates rather than political party candidates help solve our problem? What do you think? One thing that the voter has uh, in terms of control over what MPPs do is control over political parties. If you control a political party by joining one, by, by voting for who's running the party, I'm talking the officers, not the MPPs, not the, not the politicians, but the people behind the scenes. Uh, if you become an interested party in a party, as I were, a political party, 
they serve you. The party serves you. And the party uh, can pull the membership of anyone who doesn't toe your line, including the premier, for that matter. So if you want to know who's controlling the politicians in in, uh, Queen's Park, yes, it's the parties that have a lot of... uh, control over over them in terms of limiting what they can do. This is why, for example, you'll see so many instances where Tim Hudak comes out and says, uh, we're going to axe the HST. Will you axe the HST? No, I'm not going to do that. We're going to get rid of the Green Energy Act. Are you going to get rid of the Green Energy Act? No, we're not going to do that. If the reason he keeps changing his mind is because every time he opens his mouth, he hasn't first consulted with his party. The party uh, brass, and, and I'm talking the members here, uh, complain. They call the party and they say, what the heck is he doing? And next thing you know, he has to back down and reverse. So that is the power of joining a party. If there's no party, there's nobody to get that guy in line. There's no connection between the voter and the, and the, uh, the person who's elected. He gets a free ride, a blank check, for four years. Not good. Not only that, without political parties, brain-dead people can't run. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, that, that, that Jim Watcott campaign could be the campaign uh, slogan for any, any one of the three parties in the legislature right now. You know, you can change it to Tim's. Uh, <laughs> private and courageous campaign instead of Jim's. You know, you know it, 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 people don't realize how much a political parties do for each of the candidates that run for them. Right. And one of the issues, too, is that it constantly comes back to this issue that, you know, political parties are the problem, when really the problem is not political parties or their structure or even the democratic process for, for the, the greater issue. It's that you know, how do I put it? Each, you know, each one of these things is just like the other. That's how you have to kind of oh, look yeah. at it. <laughs> all of the, the parties that people know are all the same as each other. It doesn't mean party structure per se is, is, a, is an evil thing. But, That's right. But they're when right. they all believe the same thing and they're all competing for the same voter right. and they don't have any beliefs of their own, they wait for the voter to tell them what to believe. What do you expect? That's exactly right. I, if you look at the percentages of people who actually voted for those three parties, okay, so you take all the eligible voters in 2011, here's how it breaks down. 7.3% of eligible voters voted NDP. Well, that's practically every union member in the province. 13.85% uh, voted PC. And then the winner got 18.4%. So that's a, you add those all up, it comes up to less than 50%, which means the majority didn't vote at all. I'll tell you, folks, that's the majority that has the power to defeat the, the current campaign by simply deciding, hey, you know what, we could be the winners after all. And if you only have to beat 18.4% to win the, win the government, what are you waiting for? You've got 50.1% on your, on your side that aren't interested in those three parties. Join Freedom Party and get it done. Uh, you know, it, it amazes me. Uh, I always think of, of situations like the slaves in the South. You'd have these slave owners, you know, with a gun. And uh, they, they might have 100 slaves or 10 slaves uh, per gun, you know, but they were able to manage to keep all the slaves at bay. And I think that, you know, that's a terrifying situation to be in, and no one wants to be first. But I've also noticed that when one person charges the guy with the gun, everyone charges the guy with the gun, and that's when you win. So I, I think that's what voters need to do here, realize that it's the minority of, of Ontario's, uh, Ontarians. Their neighbors, the guy right next door, is the guy that's currently milking you. He's the guy with the liberal sign on his lawn and the guy next door with the, the PC sign on his lawn and the other guy across the street with the NDP sign on his lawn. They're telling you, they're telling you, I'm taking your money and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, yes, there is. Put a Freedom Party sign on your lawn and tell them where to stick it because that's, that's what needs to happen. <laughs> right. You know, what? one of the things that really bothers me about uh, the way the three big parties are, just, they're, they're destroying the concept of government as a positive 
thing. And we, we have a lot of people, I have a lot of people on, uh, on Facebook. That's because they don't govern. I see a lot of people on Facebook actually decrying government as an entity. And they right. want anarchy. They want libertarianism. They want to just smash the state, kill the cops and all that garbage. And they don't realize that when handled properly, government is a force for good because it protects your rights. And I think that you might have something to say about that. Yeah, I, I think it's a question of identity. Words mean things. You know, I can point to a cat and say, dog, dog, dog. doesn't make that cat a dog. And I can put, you know, uh, Alphonse Capone into government, and he can elect all his henchmen as the MPPs. That doesn't mean that when he's going around uh, demanding uh, uh, money from the various sto- store owners for, for protection, or when he's, uh, you know, selling drugs to, to miners and et cetera, that doesn't mean that he's acting as a government. That just means that a gangster and his and his crew have taken over the guns of of government mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we have right now we have interested parties the minority of ontarians who've managed to get their people in and say okay loot my neighbor we don't have a government in ontario right now i know we have a government we elect, elect one and it's formally and constitutionally com- comprised and all that but the people who are assuming those roles of government the ministers and etc are not defending life liberty and property that's what a government does Instead, they're violating life, liberty, and property. They're putting people in jail because they're carrying a, a joint over their ear, or they're, or they're you know, raiding some, some clinic with a, with a guy in a wheelchair because someone's helping them out with some medicine. I mean, that's the way we're spending our money. With the, I'm talking about a recent raid on a Compassion Club in Toronto. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're spending all of our time uh, robbing people, violating their liberty, all because we have our own little fanciful ideas about how we want other people to live their lives. Freedom Party takes the opposite view. Government is there to make sure that people can live their lives, pursue their own happiness, and, and do it by rational means, not by stealing, not by beating people up, not by violating their consent, but making sure that everyone interacts with everyone else in a purely consensual way. person says no, you respect that and walk the other way. They don't want to deal with you, you respect that, go the other way. No different than a date. Someone doesn't want to go on a date with you, you don't say, I'll pick you up at six. You say, I regret, that, I regret that's your decision, but I respect you for it. And that's what government has to ensure we all do, act civilly to one another. Right now, it's doing the opposite. It's making sure that it acts basically as an agent of uncivility, stealing, taking, restricting, on behalf of the people who who elected them, which at this point is the minority. And the majority of us are the victims that are being held hostage by them. We, We shouldn't be taking this anymore. I just wanted to ask you one quick question before we go to our next break, and that's the question that Steve Pakin asked to his panelists, and he never got an answer. I don't know if you noticed. But his question was, and I think it's because they weren't really up on the answer, but is it the role of a politician to represent his party to the constituency, or is it to represent the constituency to Parliament that he that elects him? I think that's the question he was asking. Or well, is that even... Or is that a trick question? <laughs> oh, I think there's. I think there, it's not exclusive, right? They're right. not mutually exclusive roles. But um, uh, you know, a, a wise old parliamentarian in, in Britain, uh, Sir, um, is it Burke? I think it was mm-hmm. Edmund Burke. Said, yeah, Edmund Burke said, uh, you know, your your MPP owes you not only his his ear, but basically his mouth. He he's not there simply to echo for you what you have to say to the legislature, but also there to share his experience and help you through uh, policy matters that maybe you don't have the time to study. In other words, that person's not merely a, a tape recorder. They're a person who, if they've been elected properly, if they've been properly uh, trained for the job, they know policy. They know the effects of, of robbing P- Peter to pay Paul. They know what economics, uh, you know, economic decision-making in, it really should be and what it shouldn't be if you are going to uh, have a, an opportunity to pursue a happy life. 
And so you're, you're supposed to be having the opportunity to hire experts, um, not, just, not just echo chambers. Excellent. Well, hang on for a couple minutes, uh, Paul, and we're going to hear how this uh, amazing election with this brain-dead fellow works out in the following excerpt back after this. Hugh, politics can be a bizarre game, but have you ever seen anything like this campaign with a brain-dead candidate? Pamela, I've seen some very strange things in politics in all the major parties, but the notion of running Jim Walcott in a brain-dead context, running him as a brain-dead candidate, is the most offensive thing I've ever seen. Even for liberals, it's offensive. Jeffrey Simpson in Ottawa, your take on all of this? Pamela, I've been following politics and covering them for 20 years in Canada, and I've never seen anything more ridiculous than this. It's a complete hoax perpetrated on the Canadian people. Uh, we no sooner pull the plug on this campaign than we pull the plug on Jim's life support. We're fighting two campaigns right now, and we're going to win both of them. We're going to win this election, and Jim's going to win his much more courageous and private campaign. Uh, Jim Walcott is a fighter. He's a symbol of sacrifice. He's not a quitter. He's the kind of symbol people want in government right now. That's right. We believe in the sanctity of all human life. We're pro-life. We're pro-Jim Walcott. Thank you. Thank you. you. That Jim is Walcott is still it? a candidate. thing, this savage, brutal exploitation of a brain-dead man. This political freak show makes me thankful that I left politics when so I did. Then, uh, Half the polls are counted when we're leading by 12%. This uh -huh. whole thing is a complete oh, travesty. Pleased. you got a Thanks. bunch of manipulative donkeys who don't give a tinker's damn about Jim Walcott. They're just trying to squeeze as much sympathy out of the Ontario public as they can. If Jim Walcott is elected, you can write off democracy. That was ex-Ontario NDP leader Stephen Lewis commenting from New York. Now let's go back up to when... Yeah, Jim's encouraged by the early returns, but uh, typical of Jim, uh, he's not overreacting. I don't think there's a happier man in the province tonight than Jim Walcott. How can I tell? Because he's got a 12-point lead with over half the votes counted. Here it comes, you guys. Here it comes. Here's Bob Davis with returns from East York. It seems that we have another projected winner with 18 out of 20 polls counted. The Liberal candidate, Jim Walcott, has taken East York. We won! Your... We did it! We did it, you guys! We yeah. won! Yeah! Yeah! We won! Yeah. We won! Yeah. We won! Yeah. We won. Yeah. We won. Yeah. We won. Yeah. That's great! Yeah, we won! Oh my God. Walcott's our man! 40,000! Yes. yes! Jimbo! Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they're having another by-election in that, in that riding sooner than they expect, eh? You know the bitter irony of that clip? Uh, and, and what happened to Jim Walcott? You know, we have all party agreement in the legislature right now, the NDP, the Liberal, and the PCs. They're all saying that when a person's brain dead, they should have a plan in advance, you yeah, know, already yes. written in advance to pull the plug. You know, they're pro-life, might be behind. You know, come on. <laughs> to, to save taxpayers' dollars, of course. To save tax yeah, they care about you as a baby boomer until you can no longer speak for yourself, at which point they're all, only too happy to pull the plug before they have to spend any money on your... Yeah. Uh, now, a lot your, of the PC uh, supporters out there, the progressives, as I'll continue to call them, had a leader called Ernie Eves not too long ago who said that the purpose of government is to redistribute wealth. And he actually said that to you, right, Paul? He did that on CFRB. I was listening to their economics panel on uh, the, Jim, or the, the Oakley show on 6.40 a.m. Sorry, it wasn't CFRB. It was AM 6.40. And um, uh, they were talking, and it was, I think, the head of the Canadian uh, the, the business uh, group, CFIB, uh, uh, a retired uh, union leader, 
and, uh, and Ernie Eves, and they meet every week. Well, they were all in agreement that the purpose of government is to redistribute wealth. I called up and I said, you know, this is not a, a showdown between the three guests. They're all in agreement. I said, can you please repeat, what, what do you say is the purpose of government? He said it again, to redistribute wealth and decide how wealth should be redistributed. What do you think it's for? This is what he asks me. Right. I said, to defend pe- people against people who would take their, their right. property like that. <laughs> like life, says, liberty, oh, and property, hello. Right. And, he, and he said, well, that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, of course, your question was, how can you defend your life, liberty, and property if you're dedicated to stealing them from That's me? That's <laughs> right. I mean, it, the, the, the complete idiocy. The first part was true. The second part was an afterthought that he, he attacked on sure. because he realized that he looked like an ass. Now, there was a, a recent email I saw you, you putting out, Paul, where you linked Ernie Eves to, uh, was it the windmills or the gas plant scandal? That's the gas plant. The gas plant. Now, can right. you tell us that? Can you walk us through that observation? Right. Okay. So dial back to 2002, November. Uh, a few months prior to that, the, uh, the government of Mike Harris had deregulated the price, the retail price of electricity. So in other words, um, different people might pay different amounts for electricity, but they could control the, the rates they paid by buying from brokers. So you'd say, okay, I want a steady rate, et cetera. Well, some people, especially people who are running, you know, French fry operations, restaurants, that kind of thing, they were spending a lot more money on, on electricity than other people were. Um, uh, and so uh, Eve's started getting a lot of flack from people who use a lot of electricity. So we decided, okay, we're going to impose a, a 4.3 cent cap on the retail price of electricity. Uh, everybody is going to have to pay not more than that. And, of course, all the people who were big users loved it, but what the people who were small users didn't realize was that now they were going to have to pay for it on the tax bill. Um, well, what happened at that very time of the, uh, the time of the announcement in November of 2002 was that Dalton McGinty says, that's crazy, you can't put, oppose, impose a tax or sorry, a, a, a cap on, on the rate of electricity. Well, within one week, I guess the poll showed he better change his mind, so he did. And we ended up getting about four or five years of, of that price cap. I think it ended probably around 2006. And at that point, they had utterly destroyed any interest there was in the private sector for building generation capacity in the province. There had been, prior to that price cap, there had been all kinds of plans about building new capacity and making a profit right here in the province of Ontario. Private sector plans, no, nobody needed any prompting. They wanted to come to Ontario because they saw these aging nuclear reactors. They knew there was going to be a market here. Well, Ernie Eves proved to them that you can't trust the government not to intervene in the economy and deprive them of a return on their investment. So they all took their investment ideas and went home. And that's why in 2006, 2007, and ever since, we've been seeing the McGuinty government giving um, uh, gas plant companies, private companies, uh, huge um, promises of huge rates, you know, 8, 10 per, uh, cents per, uh, per uh, kilowatt hour instead of 4 or whatever, so as to encourage them to set up, to invest their money in Ontario, build the plants, operate the plants at huge profit, guaranteed by a, a rock-solid contract. That's what they want. That's the only way they'll agree to come into Ontario anymore because the PCs and the Liberals scared them off with their manipulation of the pricing system. Well, you can understand that. I mean, if you were in the private market and you had to do business with these people you can't trust as far as you can see, yeah. right, you have, to, you have to cover yourself 10 times over. Well, and you know, I, I, we're working on a paper on this with Freedom Party, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll tip my hands a little bit. I think what needs to happen here is instead of extending the life of the Pickering Station, which a lot of people are concerned about whether it's a dangerous thing to do, right now it's extended to 2018 without any special reparations or, or maintenance steps, uh, but people want it to go even longer than that. Uh, I say no. Close the thing as soon as possible. That'll create a, a demand for electricity. It won't be a shortage, but it will be enough of a demand that the private sector will be, see a, uh, an opportunity to um, get a return on investment within Ontario. If you get rid of Pickering, 
uh, nuclear, you will have private investors coming in knowing that they can make a profit, provided that they too get a contract, but their contract should say for a hundred years or for a thousand years or name it, I don't care. The government will not um, fix prices. The government will stay out of the price fixing business. They will come if we can give them that in a contract, and I think that's what we need to do. And then the, the, con- the, the contractors right now are getting paid exorbitant rates. Well, we just won't use their electricity. And, and if they want to bring down their prices voluntarily instead of uh, sticking to their contract rates, that'll be up to them. I think that's the way to go. You know, another... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, okay. Um, I was just thinking, Paul, another way that um, th- that rather disgusts me about the big three is the way that they divide the province into voting sectors. For example, the Liberals are very, very uh, uh, dependent on the Toronto vote. Without the Toronto vote, the Liberals would not even exist, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they get away with putting windmills up all throughout the countryside, everywhere else, because they know that they don't have the Tory vote out there. Why even bother trying to, to get it? Let's stick the windmills up there and uh, screw those guys. We got Toronto. Right. And on the other hand, you have the Tories working for the farmers and working for um, uh, those particular places for the windmills, and they... they they ignore the Toronto vote, and so you're dividing the province up into little uh, voter fiefdoms that uh, that they that they scrabble after. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and there's a reason why it's happened historically that way. Um, the PC party originally was the party of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, the big issues in Ontario were about keeping Catholics from getting any funding for their high schools, uh, keeping French out of Ontario, keeping immigrants out of Ontario. We, they, the PC party was in power for 42 years consecutively, until 1985, by being the party that would defend white Anglo-Saxon Protestants against those horrible Catholics and immigrants, and etc. I'm a Catholic and, and, and son of an immigrant, etc. I'm not, not really buying their line. I'm telling you, though, that that was the purpose of the party. The purpose of the party was to keep Ontario white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. When, they, when the demographics changed, they lost their, their, uh, their support. In fact, the thing that killed them in 1985 was extending... Uh, uh, funding to um, Catholic high schools, uh, they lost their way. Uh, they lost their their um, you know their constituency, and in fact, their constituency to this day remains people who were born in the twenties and thirties, and some in, in the forties. They're mostly uh, the aging and the elderly, which is why their support continues to drop. And those people tend to like to live out in the rural areas where they don't have to deal with all the various people that they were trying to keep out of the province in the first place. You want to know why the PCs are popular out there? It's because they're really just still popular with the people who want Ontario to be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant province. They don't have the support of the more cosmopolitan, newer Canadians, younger Canadians, people who don't have all those prejudices. I think that's the problem for the PCs. They can't get into the city because we all know their number. And so as a result, they adopt the new policies of the Liberals and the NDP, and they become what they were trying to fight against in the beginning. Yeah, it's like Archie Bunker trying to tell everybody that he's changed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in a minute or two we've got left, Paul. Uh, Getting back to the hydro issue, you know, a lot of people might hear us talking about that and still feel like, well, gee, you know, all that's really out of my control. You know, it's such a big issue. It's not something you feel like you can deal with. And yet even that issue, and you've heard me complaining about this, has very personal effects beyond the big money issues. And that's things like hearing people, the problems they're having with the smart meters, Oh, yeah. um, ne- never mind the skyrocketing cost of electricity in the home. But I'll tell you, one of the issues I have <laughs> that they just did in my apartment building, they just put in, got rid of all the incandescent lighting and yep. put in this new new lighting, which is utterly useless. You can't read under it, 
right? Yeah. And, so and I've replaced fact, it all with, with, with much more wattage than I was using before, but it's made life a little inconvenient. And it just life seems to get more and more inconvenient on, an, on this tiny scale. Uh, yeah, and on the most bizarre things. I mean, getting yeah. rid of a light bulb type. Bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Resu- and, and especially since we have an abundance of electricity at present in the province. It's not as though we have a shortage anymore. All the industry's gone. They've chased them out of the province. And that, as a result, we now have surplus yeah. energy. So the, 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 very, I mean, the light bulb ban was proposed when, the, when there was a shortage because we still had industry. The industry fled in 2006, 2007, and 2008. And now we have an abundance. So it's ridiculous. But I'll tell you, there's another step to this, and I think we can fight back. I don't think we have to feel it's all beyond us. One of the easiest things, I think, and one of the most obviously um, doable changes is to allow people to generate their own electricity and get off the grid if they want to, entirely. And they won't we, even we, let you do that. You can't, can't get off the grid. It's forbidden, right. and I think that needs to change. If someone, especially, you know, you get a lot of these fellows up living up in the more rural areas of Ontario, they don't even want to be on the hydro. They, can, they have enough wind power or heat uh, from the ground or... Or, or, they, or maybe they want to be on propane, run everything that way. Sure. Let them. They're, it is absolutely atrocious to force people to buy off the electrical grid when the electrical grid can't supply affordable electricity. If you want that grid to supply affordable electricity, it needs some competition, and the only way you're going to do that is by allowing people to no longer buy from it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Paul. It's been a quick show. I can't believe we didn't even get into my list of 50 issues that I wanted to discuss with you. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. But anyway, if anything, the light bulb things proves is that uh, nobody's got any bright ideas anymore, and maybe they are all brain dead. And it's time for us to go. So join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Who are you going to vote for, Raj? I don't know. I'm not too choked up about either one of them. I don't trust Abercrombie and uh, Ziegler has uh, no experience. Do you know who I would vote for? Who? Him! Me? Well, thank you very much, but I'm not running. Uh, look, I can't make it for lunch. I've got to go downtown and register. Oh, that's okay. I have to finish up these reports anyway. Register for what? Oh, it's a state election. We're electing a new governor. Oh, what happened to the old one? Well, I don't know how they did it in old Baghdad, but here they elect a governor every four years. Oh, what a lovely idea. That way, everyone gets a chance to be governor. (laughs) 